I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Chiara de Ulis Pepe of Emilio Pepe. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> Great to see you. Good. Tell me a little bit about Abruzzo. Nara area, which is in the northest part of Abruzzo. We don't only have vines, but we have like olive trees, we have grain, we have very, very different kind of cultures. And that's really important for the yeast and their diversity because, you know, many, many different varietals, many, many different diversity of populations of yeast. So it's really important also for the aromatic aspect of the wine. And what is beautiful is that every single part of Abruzzo have a different kind of soil. So it's really interesting to see how the same grape can change from one place to the other. And just by looking at the soil, you can realize why. So it's it's really beautiful. It's nice also. It's uh, undiscovered. So people that are coming in Abruzzo, they feel like the pioneers. But I think it's the beauty of it because it has an amazing potential but not everybody knows about it. So it's, it's nice to talk people about Abruzzo and to tell people about how Abruzzo is beautiful and interesting and see how they're, they don't know it, but they, they want to learn and they want to visit. So that's why more and more people are coming to Abruzzo. They want to discover it. You're somewhat in the north. We are in the northest part of Abruzzo, just uh, like 10 minutes from the border. Yeah, it's at the border with Le Marche. So we are we are in the north east. So 10 minutes from Le Marche and 10 minutes from the Adriatic Sea. And are there other wine producers in that particular area of Abruzzo that I would have heard of? Only in our little town, we are 1,800 people. So it's a tiny, tiny village and there are seven wineries. So it's really concentrated also because we are in the Le Colline Teramane area, which is a DOCG area. Our wine is not DOCG, but anyway. Uh, so is that like because of how it's produced? Yeah, okay. for, because to have a, a DOCG wine, you have to put the wine for at least of 
two years in the wooden barrels. And of course, we don't like and we don't do that. So that's why our, our wine, it's a normal DOC and not a DOCG for this reason. And then in the southern part, there are a lot of uh, other producers. And so like in our area, there are like Cornacchia, Strapelli. They're really, really close to us. And then in the southern part, you have Valentini, for example, in Loreto Brutino and many, many other producers. But that's actually somewhat farther away. From yeah, you. yeah. It's about an hour and a half from where we are. Because a lot of times people say, oh, the two best producers of Abruzzo for Red are Valentini and Pepe. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you're actually not very close. No, no, no. We're not very close. And actually, well, we are on uh, 240 meters on the sea level. And they are a little higher. Higher than that. I think. Yeah, I think. And uh, so, but they are southern and more inland, while we are really close to the sea. Your grandfather got started in the early 60s doing exactly. wine. Making wine, yes. Grandfather started making wine in 1964. That was his first vintage. But then his father and his grandfather were making wine too. And they used to sell not bottled. So it was the first one who started bottling the Montepulciano. In, in our family. They used to sell it in bulk and then he bottled it with his own name on it. Exactly, solar. exactly. Uh, while before he was started making wine, he was like working for other people's land. So he was kind of always involved in the agriculture and working in the land. And of course he was uh, helping making the wine together with his father and his grandfather. So it was, he knew already before he was starting how to do. He set up somewhat of a unique way of making wine. Yeah. Which I true. haven't heard of at any other winery. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about how that works. Absolutely. So my grandfather always produced very small quantities of wine. And that's because his singular way of winemaking. Since the beginning, he never used any chemicals, of course, well, because when he started chemicals didn't exist but then what it was nice is that he never used and he never started using so all the grapes are picked by hand selecting all the grapes making sure that all the grapes are coming back to the cellar are perfectly healthy so all the family is going and picking the grapes because we want to personally know what is coming back in the cellar uh, just because since we don't want to add any chemicals, we have to be sure that the grapes are really healthy. And then all the white grapes, which means Trebbiano and Pecorino, are crushed by feet. So we have for all the production. So we have like a big wooden tub and inside we will put the, the grapes and five or four people with boots, they just stamp. And then for the red with the stem by hand. So we have a big net, one meter for one, and two people, one in front of the other, they go back and forth with their hands. That's so interesting. They, so it's not like yeah. a crusher to stemmer machine. No, exactly. The work is completely different because the crusher machine will just crush everything, will crush leaves, stem inside, skin, everything will get broken. While doing this, both the crushing and the stemming, it's a much uh, more gentle and delicate and selected work. Because, for example, with the pressing by feet, 
the way of the person, just let it be a gentle pressure. So if there are any unripe berry, they are harder, they are stronger, and they don't break. Or on the other case with the stemming, you will go back and forth and the, only the berry falls down. The stem never breaks. So it doesn't give the bitter tannin to the wine that of course we don't want. And the berry remains almost intact. It means that all the skin, it's all in the mast. So all the skin, so that all the yeast that there are in the skin, they all go into the mast to let the fermentation start straight away, which is important because no yeast get lost. So, and after doing this, the juice goes to ferment in small concrete tanks. So we only use concrete for both white and red. The tanks are really small, around 22, 25 hectoliters. Oh, really? That's pretty small. That's really small because, of course, we don't have temperature control. So the fact that they're small, they help because the quantity is smaller and the temperature never gets too high. Because and if you have more liquid, the temperature goes higher when exactly, you ferment. Exactly. And uh, inside, they're lined with glass. So basically, the wine, it's in touch with glass. And we only, we only use concrete because it's the only material which is completely neutral. So it doesn't give anything to the wine. And that's what we want to do. We just want to keep the wine the way it is without changing his personality. And uh, so, and also because of the oxygen. So in the concrete, no oxygen at all. It's not like aging in, in oak, that you have a lot of micro-oxygenation. In the concrete, you get no oxygen at all. That's why my grandfather doesn't like oak, because he says that in the oak, the wine gets old in very short time, while we want our wine to be young for longer time. So that's a little bit a different way of thinking. So you rack it in the concrete. You don't move it to another no. container. Well, we try also not to move from one concrete to another concrete. We try to rack as less as possible. So what my grandfather says is that you want to keep the wine intact as much as possible. So if you do many rackings, the wine, anytime you rack it, he will leave something of himself in the tank that he leaves. So in order to preserve all the compounds of the wine, you have to let him stay for... And also because the wine, when you put a wine into a tank, any tank, it will produce around him like a, like a skin to protect himself from the outside. And those are tartrates. You know, and since in the concrete inside is pretty rough, all those tartrates will remain at the walls for the two years that the wine will stay in the concrete. While, for example, if you will put the same wine in the stainless steel, the wine will produce the tartrates, but they will fall apart because inside it's sleepier. So the wine will have to recreate it again, this, you know, this skin again. And again, doing this, it will lose a lot of important properties that it will need during the aging process. So my grandfather says that at first the wine takes off his jacket and then his shirt and then it remains naked. So it won't have the same power to age as it would have in the concrete tanks. And it seems like most of that aging occurs in bottle. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, all the fermentation, it's spontaneous. That, of course... Um, 
it's really important because every single vines have the have a completely different combinations of yeast and many many different families are working all together because what we realize is that since my grandfather in 50 years never used any chemicals the populations of yeast in our vines are really old like the average is 40 years old they got more and more in in terms of number so we have many many different of yeasts and family of yeast working during the fermentation. So it's really, really interesting in, in terms of diversity and complexity of flavors. Uh, of course, without filtration, the wine get into bottles and we bottle by end again. So we just with the hose by falling. Then we cork and we stock in our aging cellar. In our aging cellar, we have more than, it's all underground, and we have more than 350,000 bottles from 1964. That's the year my grandfather started making wine till today. So we have more than 35 vintages of Montepulciano. And in a certain way, it's the history of Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, because you really see year after year how the wine changes and how the wine evolves just because of the climate condition and not because the way of making never changed because it's it's still the same. Like now it's 50 years of wine making and we are still making the wine as my grandfather started. So you really see but just by tasting all the different vintages, you realize how the season was just by tasting the wines. And again, we age in the bottle because again, it's neutral. And my grandfather says that the glass is the perfect material for the wine. That's why also the concrete tanks are lined with glass inside again. So basically the wine stays there for years. And then before we release, all the bottles will be reopened and decanted one by one by hand. We just pour the wine from one bottle to the other and then we refill the bottle with another bottle of the same vintage and then we cork. And it's your grandmother who does it. That's my grandmother. Yeah, exactly. And then we label them by hand and then we release. So decantation gives us the chance to check and control bottle by bottle the quality of the wine. So we are sure that to the customer arrive a controlled and checked bottle. And that's why on the cork, we started writing uh, the year of the decantation. So you maybe open a 2000 and on the cork you read 2014. It means that the bottle has been reopened, decanted and checked in 2014. So kind of in that way, you could determine how long it was in bottle aging. Exactly. Before it was rebottled. Perfect. Yeah. Is it always a one-to-one process? Like in other words, does she open it and pour exactly one bottle's worth of wine into the new bottle or do a couple bottles go into it? Because I would imagine there would be some Yeah, we lose like half a glass for each bottle. So consider that to release, for example, 10 bottles, we will need 12 bottles. Right. So of course, yeah, we lose a little bit more. (laughs) What do you think that that process brings to the wine? In your own, in your well, own. um, at the, what was fun is that at the beginning, my grandfather started making, started doing this because people didn't like the sediments in the wine. The so, reopening, yeah. So was he originally just putting it in bottle and then giving it to people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But then he suddenly start making this since the beginning. Consider that for the let's say the first life of the wine, so before the decantation, the wine lives in a reductive status because it is at first in concrete lined with glass, so no oxygen at all. And then it gets into the bottle, and again, no oxygen. So if after 10, 20, 30 years of aging, you let the wine breathe for a second and then put it back in the bottle, it's only good for the wine. That's what we think. We think it's uh, it's really good for the wine because also get more stable after the decantation. And then it's a process that takes only 30 seconds. So really the oxygen that it gets is very, very little. So She must be very good at it then. If she, 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 she is. Well, well it's 50 years that, that she's, she's made. been doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. She should. <laughs> but what about malolactic fermentation? When does that happen? Well, that's interesting. We cannot control, so uh, and we don't put any bacterial inside to let the fermentation, manolactic fermentation happen. So it may happen in the concrete tanks or it may happen in the bottle. Most of the time for the red, it happens in the concrete tanks. Uh, while for uh, the, the whites, my grandfather has a special conception about it. So he really likes when his whites do the monolactic fermentation in the bottle. So usually when we want to put the Trebbiano in the aging, my grandfather bottles it a little before so that, that the monolactic fermentation can happen in the bottle. And of course, it will leave a, a little carbonic, it will be a little effervescent, but uh, my grandfather thinks that that will help the wine to age longer and better. So, for example, we had the chance to taste like a couple of months ago, two bottles back to the 67 and 77 of Trebbiano. They were both beautiful and they had both, again, a little carbonic inside. Wow, really? After that long period of time? Yeah, exactly. So, and also because all our wines age without adding any sulfites so of course if there is something that will help the wine to age and to preserve and then it's only good so and of course it's a kind of well the carbonic that comes from the manolatic fermentation when you open the bottle it will go in 10 minutes but then when you at first when you open you you can feel it it will go but you'll feel it so are there differences Besides that, between the, how the Trebbiano is produced and how the Montepulciano that you make is produced? Yes. So we produce around 60,000, 70,000 bottles per year. And the Montepulciano is around the 70%, and the Trebbiano is at 30. And um, consider that then every year, the 50% of the production goes in the aging and we don't release. And when the season is particularly good, maybe we stock the 80, 85%. So, 
So oh, I see. More. So when you think it's a good harvest, you put aside more for aging. Exactly. And the rest you release earlier. So you don't necessarily release in order. You release when you exactly kind of when think we it think it's ready. When we think it's ready. Yes. It's not always the same. It may be later. It may be before. It's just up to the vintage and how the wine it's uh, showing and reacting. For example, the 1983 for the first. 20 years we didn't release a single bottle and we only start releasing the 83 10 years ago so that's a good wine now it's really the 83 good. red you mean it, it's yeah yeah red. it's good it, it's really good it's amazing right now but then at the beginning my grandfather didn't like it so he stocked the old production of the 1983 in the cellar and he didn't sell a single bottle are there other years that you haven't made wine or released yes. wine? So not every year we make wine. So uh, when the season are, are not good, of course, it's, there's no reason for us to make wine because uh, it's not that the wine is bad, the grapes are so-and-so, and we can adjust in the cellar. In the cellar, we don't adjust anything. When the grapes are not good or not like, the, the quality that we we want and the quality that we are looking for, we decide to sell the grapes directly and we don't even make wine. But then there are, well, these are really rare cases, of course, when the season are really bad. Like, well, the last one in Abruzzo that was really bad was um, 1999. We didn't make wine at all. And what was the situation that year in terms of the climate or was really really rainy and we got some ale storm as well we 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 just uh sold all the sold grapes all of it. and like in the cellar it's it's not very nice because for us it's a very very important decision not because in terms of financial reasons it's just because we we realized that for that year for that vintage we won't have history and we have no wine to taste. Also for us as a family, you know, it's really sad, but sometimes happen. And then, for example, there are some vintages that are better for the white or they're better for the red. So, for example, we make Montepulciano and we don't make Trebbiano or the opposite. So it just depends a lot on the climate. Help me understand the vineyard source. Is there one vineyard for the Montepulciano and one vineyard for the Trebbiano? Are they in different spots? Are they They're all in vineyards? different spots. We are on a hill. We have only 15 hectares. And all the 15 hectares are splitted in different parcels that are, I think, around two or three kilometers from the winery. So they're all really, really close. It means that the terroir, it means that the soil, it's almost the same for all of them. Grandfather tries to find the better spot. They're all different and uh, most of our vines are with the pergola system. So what does that mean? It's the old traditional way of growing in Abruzzo. It means that the vines are really tall. They're like two meters and basically, the the leaves when when they all grow, so like in spring and in summer, they they be like a carpet, and then the grape grow under that. So my grandfather really believes that the pergola is the best way of growing, 
because he says that there is the perfect relationship between the grape and the leaves. So each kilo of grape has one square meter of leaves around them. So much more photosynthesis and much more sugar into the grape after. And also because since we are facing warmer and warmer season, uh, the grape need to be protected. That's from, a challenge where you are. The There's more sun these days. Yeah. It's kind of changing, but uh, we feel that it's getting warmer. So that's why we need to protect the grape. But also because in Abruzzo there is a lot of sun. Also, 50 years ago, my grandfather was using the pergola and he was believing that it was great. Also 50 years ago. Well, now in Abruzzo, the pergola is um, more and more disappearing because, of course, you cannot work with the tractors inside. You cannot pick the grapes with machines. But for us, it really doesn't matter because we would do everything by hand anyway. Yeah, you're not so big on machinery in general, yeah, right? Yeah. It seems we like well, we don't have any machine at the moment. So, right. So it's, uh, yeah. And uh, we have some rows as well. So most of the vines are with the pergola, but we have some rows. Just because the pergola, it's way better in the warmer season because, you know, the grape get protected from the sun. But the rows are better in the rainy season because more air flows into the branches and you get less, uh, you know, disease, all this kind of stuff. So having both of them, we can in a certain way balance the production. And also, most of our vines are really, really old. Like the average, it's um, 40 years old for the Montevulciano, 30 for the Trebbiano. But most of our vines, my grandfather planted in 1970. And usually from the older vines, it's always coming the wine that we put in the aging because it comes out the more balanced, elegant wine. Does that mean that there's actually multiple multiple Chianos in a given year? No. No, no, no. Everything is made in the same way and everything, but we, we just uh, vinify all the parcels different in different things. So So we, would you sell off things that were from the younger stuff? Uh yeah, that's why we release younger in Italy. And then all the rest goes in the aging. So th theoretically, does it have the same label on it? Like yeah, same label. So if I were to drink them, um, say an 05, yeah, in in Italy, it could be from a different parcel of vines. Yeah, as the other one. Yeah, well, the difference is like very very small. Yeah, no, it's I'm just curious. Tiny, you know. but there is. Yeah. So, and your grandfather still looks after the vines today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how well, old is he now? Yeah, he's 82 now. But, but still very active, still running all over the place, still taking care of all the vines. And still, I mean, all the most important decisions are made with him as well. He always has the last word on it, so <laughs> as he should. 
And a lot of times people talk about what Trebbiano is, mm. you know, in terms of different clones or yes. types of Trebbiano. What kind of Trebbiano do you grow? So we have the Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, which is a really, really special clone, which is completely different from the Bombino or what other people think. It's a clone that we have only in Abruzzo. And also in terms of the wine that it makes, I think that it's a wine with a lot of, it's very deep has a lot of soul and it's like a person when it when it's young it doesn't it seems like it doesn't want to speak and it's always a little bit shy but then as long as you wait as much complexity and aromas and diversity you get so it's really really interesting also paying attention to the beautiful aging potential that it has because a lot of people don't think that Trebbiano can age very well. Well, actually, Trebbiano ages beautiful. And I think it's really, really interesting how it ages. And what about foot treading? Do you trod the grapes both for red and white by foot? No, 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 no. The, the grape, the white grapes are by foot and the red are by hand. I see. Yeah, there's the, the stemming by hand on, on the big neck. So we go back and forth, and the berry fall down, and the stem remains at the top. So why would you do it differently for the whites, do you think? Well, because for the white, we only need the juice, mm -hmm. while in the red, we need the skin. Got it. So that's why doing the crushing the children by, by feet, we only get the juice, and the skin and the stem remains on a side. While for the Montepulciano, we do the stemming and the, the berry go to ferment almost intact. That's why they ferment with the skin and then uh, maybe eight days of maceration and then we get the skins off. How would you describe the taste of what the final result is compared to maybe other Montepulciano or other Trebbiano producers? What to you kind of signifies the difference in the glass of a Pepe wine? I think that as a winery, we have a very unique and special taste that everyone that will taste our wines will recognize in a certain way the stamp that uh, the winery puts on all of our wines. You can taste different vintages and that will taste different because the climate conditions were different, but you'll recognize the same lines, the same characteristic which is complexity, but very earthy, with a lot of personality. But as well, they're all very elegant. And also for the, for the Trebbiano, they're really singular, but you will recognize easily because they're almost always the same characteristic in all the vintages. So, Do you typically decant your own wines when no. you serve them? No. no. Straight from the bottle. Well, what I, I try to recommend to all the sommeliers that work with our wines is not to decant the wines. A little bit because the wines have been already decanted by the winery. So it just uh, you don't need. Second, because the beauty of our wines is the evolution that they have in the glass. So it's really, really interesting to see how they change and how they evolve in the glass. So if you decant, you will lose, I think, the first part of the evolution. And you'll start drinking the, the wine 
starting from when is kind of open and evolved. While in a certain way, it's also interesting to see like all the evolution of the wine and not only like the final part and the ending part. Why do you think your grandfather arrived at the process that he did for technique? Well, that was the really traditional way to harvest in Abruzzo a hundred years ago. So he just adopted the technique typical from Abruzzo, as well as the concrete, because the concrete was really typical. Also for the little farmers that they were making like a hundred bottles for themselves, they were using concrete. So that's why, like, when stainless steel arrived, also the, these little farmers that they were making wine for themselves, they were throwing the concrete and buying the stainless steel because it was easier to clean for many, many different reasons. So we were going to all these different farmers to get the tanks that they were throwing for, because for us, they were really important and we understood the potential. While for them, they didn't understand. And then decantation, which is another very singular things that we do, it came up with the experience. And at the beginning, it was also the, the Montepulciano and the Trebbiano had a little sediments because none of our wines were filtered and people were not liking it. So that's why my grandmother started to decant. But then turned out, I think, uh, in a brilliant idea because actually our wine needs it, really needs it. Does she ever take a year off? So it's like there's <laughs> ever been a year where she says, you know, no, actually well, this year it's someone really else important that she's always at home. So anytime we need it, she's there. Do you think that the techniques that you use at the winery today sort of grew out of small scale production in the area? In other words, people weren't filling large wood with wine because they didn't they weren't making large quantities of wine you're talking about small scale for the family production as a tradition yeah and then that maybe gravitating towards what's larger production for you tens of thousands of bottles but made kind of in the same way that you would if you were only making a hundred bottles for your own family because there's no quantity exactly it's just it's been magnified exactly with the same technique well in a certain way because we are still very small that's why we can do all of this because we are small. We couldn't do this work with the big quantities at all. So that's why we don't want to grow. We don't want to grow in quantity because we will lose all our fact that we still do everything by hand. I would suppose that you've probably had some of the same vintages a number of times because you still offer some of the older wines. Yes, the tasting. everything is uh, still on sale and released. So do you tend to see differences between two bottles of the same vintage at times? Do you ever see kind of a bottle variation? It may, it may be, usually not. But if uh, there is, it's or because the two bottles, they aged in different place. In the cellar or somewhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere in, in the world. Like... Um, but most of, and also because two bottles can come from two different vines. So they may happen as well. And then also because every single bottle does 
her own life. So it's uh, it can change. Also, like so, there's like, no male bottles, is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I apologize. No. It's like it's really it's like two brothers that they grow up in two completely different places. One lives in China, the other one lives in New York. And when they meet after 30 but, years, of but, course, they will be different. But it's it's high real estate in both places. So no brother ever picks a place to live that's inexpensive. <laughs> Just, oh, sorry. Uh, okay. No, but so there's never a time when the wines are assembled. In other words, no, there isn't a time when all those cement vats are ever blended together before bottling. No. Okay. And how many cement vats are there? So we have um, around, uh, let's see, 30. 35. Mm-hmm. Just for red or is that? No, red and white. Okay. Yeah. And so most of the production is red. So does that mean like 27 of those? Yeah. But then we have dif- uh, different uh, like uh, size. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we have some that are smaller, some that are bigger. So it's a little bit mixed. Yeah. And you also make it Cherosuolo. We do. <laughs> What's that we like? We do make this Cherosuolo. Well, I've only heard about it. It's a legendary thing. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's always Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, 100%, but then it's harvested like white. So like the white is uh, crushed by feet, and that's the fermentation without the skins. So that's why it's lighter, it's fresh, it's a rosé. It's a wine that is not supposed to age, so we drink it in a year especially in summer, because it's beautiful to drink in summer. And it's very versatile. It can pair a lot, a lot of different kind of food, from the fish to the pizza to the pasta. It's it's really nice. It's floral. But then we, we don't release. We release only in Italy. And we make very few bottles. And it's really not supposed to be aged. You're supposed to drink it. I have to say that, for the family, we age a little bit <laughs> just to see how it is. And of course, just by aging, it loses uh, the characteristic that they're typical of the pecorino. So the freshness, the fruit, and it turns out to be different. Really, really interesting, actually. Really, really interesting. But then it's not what it is supposed to be. So, But of course, every year... We kept like hundred bottle for the family and see just to see and to have um, an history to as well. When you're having dinner and your mom says, "Let's drink a young wine tonight," is that wine still usually ten years old or? <laughs> no, <laughs> we drink something a little younger. Okay, I just wasn't sure. You know, <laughs> yeah, in, the, yeah. in the in the family context, whether like yeah. forty years old is no. Well, we 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 may drink like uh, two thousand five. Yeah, two thousand five, seven, two thousand seven. But then grandfather likes 2000, so most of the times that's why he picks. And tell me a little bit about your mother. The family is almost all involved in the winery. So there's grandfather and then grandmother's the canning all the bottles. Now the winery are run by my aunt, Sofia, and my mom, Daniela. So my mom, Daniela, she's the one who takes care of all the administration. And Sofia, she's the one that now is in charge of the winemaking. So she's she's the one ma- who's making the wine. And how long has that been true? Mm, ten years. Ten now years. that she's doing wine by herself, of course, always with grandfather having a look 
he really likes how Sofia works. So the 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 fact that he allows her and to do everything, it means that he really trusts her. Otherwise, he won't let her do, and he won't let her deal with his vines and his grapes, of course. So she also seems like a pretty strong personality to me, Sofia. Yeah, Sofia, she does. She is. She's uh, she's really nice. Well, for me, it was was really important because uh, um, before she she was the one who was taking care of the sales. So I followed her for like uh, three or four years. Because that's kind of your thing now. Yeah, and uh, so I've learned a lot from them from her, and uh, she's like, well, she has a lot of patient to deal with grandfather as well because it's not easy at all because a person that in 50 years did all this and kept doing what he was doing since the beginning it means that the personality is really strong as it is not easy to deal with him is uh is now happy and and confident with the fact that all women are running <laughs> the winery and maybe that was his uh, power because uh, to deal with him, you have to be a lot of patient. And usually, as a woman, we are. So. And what did you learn trying to sell the wines in the States and other places? What's the reception for the wines? Well, with Sofia, I've learned a lot and traveling with grandfather. I've traveled a lot with grandfather and he still travels with me. And it's uh, it's really, really nice that he still has the energy to travel the world. But then also, I think just by growing in a family like this, kind of get all this passion and it comes natural. So talking about my family and talking about the wines is like the more natural thing that I could do. So and I think our wines of course, yeah, the quality, but it's also a matter of, of story, of family, of tradition. So it, it's important that people, when they're drinking our bottles, they know all that is behind that bottles. If I were to pair food with the wines that you make, what mm. should I be thinking about? What should I keep in mind? I think that, of course, the wine will be paired with the dishes of the region. And what are those? I've actually never been. Ah, oh, well, you have to come anyway. I would like to. <laughs> and uh, so very typical dish. So in Abruzzo, we have a lot of lamb, uh, lamb ragu as well. But like for the primi, we have this um, pasta called chitarra. So of course, it's a homemade pasta and then cut it on this special tool called chitarra that makes them be very, very small, very thin. And then we cook with the simple tomato sauce with basil and pallottine, which are like really, really small meatballs, but very, very tiny. And that's a very typical dish from our part of region because Abruzzo is also beautiful for his diversity of uh, cooking recipe, and it's also changing from family to family, so it's nice. And then another very typical dish, it's a uh, timballo, just to let you understand, it's a kind of lasagna, but then the dough it's uh, thinner, and there's no bechamel, no cream, but there's only mozzarella cheese and uh, spinach and meat. So it's lighter, but then flavor, a lot of flavors. 
And then, uh, well, we have lamb, as I told you before, that we usually cook the peppers and olives, very classical with a little bit of tomato. Or another way that we cook it, it's called cacio e ovo. So we cook it with the Parmesan cheese and eggs. And then everything got cooked together. So really interesting. So what do you think came first, the net for the destemming or the guitar? <laughs> That's a fun thing. You know, was someone in the kitchen one day and like, I, I, I have this great <laughs> idea for stems. <laughs> We're going to push it through this net. <laughs> well, well, usually during the harvest time, they all go together because... When people are destemming, Grandma Rosa always come down with some spaghetti alla chitarra, so they match perfectly. <laughs> and I heard a rumor that you're starting to release a pecorino. We do. So pecorino, it's a, it's a wine that we... Not the cheese, but the wine. Not the cheese, yeah. but the wine, of course. That we started making in uh, 2010. We planted the vines 10 years ago. Only... One actor and half. So. so is that something Sophia wanted to do? Well, we decided together. Well, as a family, we are really close. All the important decisions are, are. I mean, everybody say what what it thinks about it. So it's something that I love about my family. And so we kind of decide all together. We decided to plant uh, this um, banner. And 2010 was the first vintage to be released. It's made at the exact same way as the Trubiano. So wooden trident, spontaneous fermentation in concrete, everything the same. And it was a kind of uh, challenge because we just realized that everybody was confident with the young pecorino and they knew about it, but nobody ever tried to age the pecorino. So that's, uh, that's what we want to do. We just want to keep in the cellar and see how it's going to be in a couple of years to see the evolution. Because in our opinion, it has an amazing aging potential. Because it has a beautiful acidity, nice body, very good power. So we really, really think it can age very well. We have a lot of experience with the aging of the Trebbiano, but not with the Pecorino. So we'll see how it's going to be. But we're going to release also a little bit here so that you can taste when it's young and then to see in a couple of years because i often think of pecorino as being a grape from the marque near the coast and you're on the marque abruzzo border yeah in the north, that's why close to the sea exactly so even though i don't often think of pecorino from abruzzo it would make sense that maybe some would find itself to you exactly yeah it's it's really close and i yeah we can consider it a very typical grape because it, as you said, we are really, really close to the coast and really close to the Marca region. And also because the Pecorino original was from the southern part of Le Marche. So, really and, close to us. And as you said, it's typically somewhat drunk young. Yeah, uh, that's what you, you can find. But actually, our Pecorino came out very, very different from all the Pecorino that I ever tasted. Because... It's also very different from the Trebbiano because the Trebbiano, especially at the beginning, is very shy, it's very refined, while the Trebbiano has an amazing personality since the beginning. A lot of flavors, a lot of acidity, a lot of going on, very creamy, 
completely different. But it's beautiful. I mean, it's really, really interesting. And you can see, well, a lot of people are calling Pecorino Pepe style <laughs> because you can you can see the stamp of, of the winery and also because it's made in the same way. So, uh, But then it's really, really different from the Trebbiano. What about the vine material? In general, is that Masal selection vines for the Pecorino and the Trebbiano and... The pecorino, we bought the clone and we bought the plants because we didn't have pecorino vines before, so we couldn't do that. But then for, well, usually we don't plant more vines because we don't want to get bigger. But if in the past years we did, we did uh, the massage selection and we replanted our clone, our vines that they're really old. So, And did you do it by row or by vineyard or by plant or how do you do it when it's a pergola how do you replant actually the pergola that we we have right now most of them are really old and even if they're old and producing not that much we want to keep it and then if we had to replant we just got the pruning and from the pruning we did the new plants so, and what is nice is that the fact that they're really, really old, and the fact that in fifty years my grandfather never used any chemicals, just let them have very, very deep roots that they go for three or four meters deep in the soil, and this is amazing because first it's really important because very, very deep there's always the same temperature and they get less exposed to disease, to mildew, and all this kind of stuff. So it's really... And also because in 50 years, nobody ever went there to feed them, to give the nourishment or to give the water. So they had to go and look for it in the soil. So there, they always have nourishment, they always have water, so they're kind of more resistant. The Abruzzo seems like a somewhat unique place in that sometimes you get rain from the Tuscan side, coming in from the west and sometimes you get rain from the water side from the seaside coming in from the east are those different kinds of rainfall patterns that they affect you differently no usually most of them are coming from the gran sasso mountain because so that we, be the west yeah we have the mountain that is really really close and it's west exactly then on the other side we have the sea and most of the things that are coming from the sea are the sea breezes, which of course is really important. And in our white, you can find very easily this beautiful minerality, sapidity. Sometimes they're almost salty because of the sea. And then the cool comes from the mountain. A lot of people in Abruzzo seem to have trouble this past winter with a, quite a bit of snowfall. Yeah. Was that also an issue for you? Well, not for us, because again, we are really close to the sea, and it didn't snow that much. It just maybe 10 centimeters and not that much. But like more south and inland, they had more trouble with that. For us, it was not a big deal. We were lucky. Why do you think that there's so much wine produced in Abruzzo, but yet it doesn't seem to, outside of a couple of star producers, have a bigger reputation on the world stage? I ask because you're on the sales side. Hmm. Well, that's something that we fight every day because, well, that's something that not me, but my grandfather fought it a lot because especially in the 60s, in the 70s, when he started selling his Montepulciano, and actually it was a Montepulciano completely different. 
It was uh, very structured and high quality and not cheap at all. While all the other Montepulciano and the common, you know, people were thinking is that Montepulciano was a table wine, was something that you should drink it young, and it was cheap. So um, it was like a really, really long way to let of education, to let people understand that there's another kind of Montepulciano that has an amazing potential of aging, really, really good quality. So it took really, really long time. And only now we're just, you know, picking the fruit of what my grandfather and all the other people that starting with the same philosophy try to teach people about. And it sounds like as you've started to win the battle to convince people about Montepulciano, you've taken it up again with Pecorino. Oh, in, in some way, in some way, yeah. Uh, my grandfather always liked challenge, and I think that's another one with the Pecorino. And, uh, well, it won't be the same because for the Pecorino we are producing... Not a lot of wine. Yeah, very, very few bottles. Uh, but the consistent job was done with the with the Montepulciano, and uh, only now um, like has a very good reputation. But only now, after long, long time, and hopefully, we'll find the aged Pecorino as the same step as the Montepulciano. And there's a book that's come out about your grandfather. It's called Manteniamoci Giovani. And it's written by Sandro San Giorgi. Uh, Sandro San Giorgi, it's a Roman author. And uh, he writes about natural wines. And I would say, for me, it's now one of the best wine writers in Italy. Because he has a completely different sensibility to the wines and to the people. Yeah, he focuses his interests on the, on the people. So that's why he asked us to write a book about grandfather. And of course, we were really proud and happy. And what came out, it's an intimate description of the life, the tradition and the passion of Emilio Pepe and on his Montepulciano. And what I think is really cool is that at the end of the book, there is tasting notes of all the wines that we have, released and not released. So Montepulciano back to 1964 and Trebbiano back to 1970. Oh, that's very helpful. Yeah. Every single vintage have been tasted, uh, so you guys have all the notes there. And also the pairing with the food, and most of them are Abruzzo received. What are you most proud of about your family? Wow. Maybe the fact that we are so close, but at the same time, they've always let me be like free to decide whatever to do. They they never told me, oh, you have to work with us. I mean, it was it was so natural, so spontaneous, and they involved me, and then uh, it was it was beautiful. And still now, I mean, I'm traveling with a lot of pleasure, but just because I know that I will come home. She's traveled a lot to come home. Thank you very much for being here today. <laughs> that was a pleasure. 
Be Thank a pleasure. You. Chiara de Lulis Pepe of the Medio Pepe Winery. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.